You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 327th edition of Assembly Call Radio and our 1019th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of February 29th, 2024. I'm your host, Andy Bottoms. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. All right. Well, this week's banner moment was written by Jared, who de- who did a nice job of trying to uh, to write this as if I was, but I don't want to take credit for uh, someone else's work here. But it did occur on Tuesday night against Wisconsin when Trey Galloway delivered his twelfth assist in a seventy four seventy victory for the Hoosiers. And what was so special about that twelfth assist? Well, it added Trey's name to a list that includes only one other name, and that name is IU basketball royalty. Only Trey Galloway and Isaiah Thomas have authored two 12 assist games in the same season. In addition to his 12 dimes against the Badgers, Trey also dished out 12 against Northwestern. And he's now averaging 6.6 assists per game across Indiana's last eight contests, and his assist ratio and assist, assist rate in conference play is 28.4%, which is seventh in the conference. For context, that's the same assist rate that Yogi Ferrell had during the 2016 Big Ten title season. Now you may be saying, hang on. Khalil Ware did put up 27, 11, and 5 on 11 of 12 shooting, and that's certainly more impressive than Trey dishing out 12 assists, and certainly that's true. But this is the banner moment, and not even Jared could conjure up a scenario in which this IU team hangs a banner this season. But please don't tempt him, and because no one needs to hear that. But with Khalil's stats being great, his development is unlikely to impact an NCAA tournament run, other than hopefully attracting the next great big to Indiana. But Trey is someone that we all hope to be back in the cream and crimson next season. And despite some rumors that circulated last week, Trey being a Hoosier next season remains the most likely outcome, regardless of who the coach is. And while no one would feel comfortable entering a season with Trey Galloway penciled in as a starting point guard, he is starting to show a much more advanced ability to create offense for his teammates. And that will pay dividends moving forward, no matter what his role on next year's IU team ends up being. All right. Let me introduce my co-host for this week. Jared will hopefully be joining us a little later. His wife is out celebrating the completion of an insanely busy month at work. And Jared wasn't about to bother her with kid bedtimes just so he could join us sitting in front of our computers to complain about basketball. And while he isn't going to nominate himself for a new husband hustle award, I will. I mean, what a guy. Truly, the Gabe Cups of husbands right there. Not a lot of actual production you can point to, but he's doing the little things that make a household function. And no, none of this writing on the run sheet has done been done by Jared himself. Uh, I'm ad-libbing all of it, obviously, and, and that's why they call me the Ron Burgundy of Bracketology. Okay, here with me tonight, we do have a longtime high school basketball coach in the state of Indiana, the founder of Delphi Bracketology, and the man now affectionately referred to as the People's Podcast host. He also knows how to celebrate a big win in your rival's gym, and it's the coach. He remembers the days when a movie cost a dollar 
I'm going to talk. I don't know, again, what's we, happening. We hear it. We hear it. You're good. Oh, you hear it? Okay. It's not coming through my speakers. But anyway. Um, it's over. Talk, talking through. I tell you what. I, I got to double check all my stuff here. Um, but anyway, uh, we got to win. That's nice. We had something positive to talk about Indiana basketball uh, this week. That's good. Let's hope we get another one on Sunday. That's kind of what the focus is going to be. I know there's an uproar about recruiting. There's an uproar about the state of the program. We're going to get into that into uh, the uh, second segment. And uh, it's just it's disappointing that we're here at 15 and 13 and have to have this conversation in, in year three. And we'll get into all the details. But again, celebrate the positives. Uh, we got we're on a one game winning streak. And we have the three games left. We can build a little momentum uh, for the Big Ten tournament. All right. And also here we have a senior writer for the Big Lead, a proud uncle, and the only one of us to ever inspire a community member to fantasize about his head literally exploding on air. Ladies and gentlemen, the red meat ranter. I have no idea where that came from. Must be missing something there. Ryan Phillips. Analyzing players, finding every wrinkle he hasn't ever hosted, never lifted a finger. He's got all the well, let me quickly add just one thing about this. The dude just interrupted his own jingle. Don't worry, coach, that worked. Uh, look, I, I think that a lot of people are talking about a lot of things. I'm, I'm happy with the win, uh, the other night. And we talked about that after the show that, you know, it's okay to enjoy a win, even in a bad season. And even with a lot of drama going on in the program, um, <clears throat> we're going to talk tonight, sort of the state of the program. And I think that we all need to be really honest about that. And we've all, you know, had our opinions about certain aspects of it. And I think that we'll be able to get it all out tonight, but uh, I, that doesn't take away from the fact that as, as Andy mentioned, Trey Galloway had a great game. Cleo Ware had a great game and they were able to beat a team that Indiana traditionally has a tough time beating. And so feel good about that. Um, hopefully you can go on the road to Maryland and maybe get another win. Cause uh, it's been a long time since it feels like it's been a long time since we've all felt a little bit of joy around this program. And so it was genuinely nice. I think some fans didn't really know how to react to that win the other night. And it's cause we hadn't had one in a while uh, that maybe they weren't supposed to win and they did. So um, yeah, we'll talk about all that stuff tonight. People have been asking us to talk about it. People have been asking me to talk about it. And I think we'll talk about that tonight. And, and you know, we're, we're not the people making the decisions. So we're just going to give our opinions of where we're at. All right. Well, Jared, like I said, will hopefully be joining us here shortly. Uh, but tonight, uh, on Hoosier Headlines, uh, we've got a quick look ahead to the Maryland game on Sunday. Uh, then, as we said, we'll kind of talk about the state of the program. I know we have uh you know traditionally tried to to talk about more macro things here on the thursday night show so that's what we'll do uh there and then we got some questions from the mailbag all of that is coming up this week on assembly call radio and now it's time to talk about our presenting sponsor And this edition of Assembly Car Radio, just like all shows on the Back Home Network, is brought to you by our friends at Homefield Apparel, where they have the largest collection of vintage IU apparel that you'll find anywhere. Uh, and it's not just IU, but as uh, all of you know, they did just have a recent IU refresh, uh, more bison merchandise, which you can't really go wrong with, the hyper sweatshirt, uh, lots of more great IU stuff. And then they recently rolled out their 
their racing collection. So they have a number of things there. And then even today, which this might really be where Jared is, they rolled out some new Virginia merchandise. Uh, although they didn't have anything specific to tie Jerome, so it may or may not be what he's actually doing. Uh, but we've coached sporting the Indiana Hyper sweatshirt. Uh, I mean, probably your first purchase, I would guess, uh, in the last week or so uh, was that sweatshirt. But they've got all kinds of great IU stuff uh, from that Hyper sweatshirt. I've got the uh, uh, controversial in some circles oval on. Uh, but you know that no matter what you buy, it'll be comfortable. The colors will last through many washings. And you're supporting an Indiana-based company that came up through the Kelly School of Business. And what could be better than that? So go to homefieldapparel.com and use our promo code HOME23 to get 15% off your entire first order. That's promo code HOME23 for 15% off. Once again, the website is homefieldapparel.com. Wear one for the team. They may need to get better models than Coach and I, but that's neither here nor there. So we'll we'll just move on. Uh, all Connor, right. I'm available. Well, let's let's whoa, not. whoa, whoa, whoa. He easy. said better. <laughs> yeah. Easy, Come easy. On uh, uh, I like how you tried to adjust your hair when you said that. That was really yeah, that was really something. That, you know? Okay, because they're going to screenshot right, anyway. it for the profile picture. So, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Who's your headlines? Uh, so NIT Bracketology was listed on here. I think if IU wins another couple games, I think you can have a more realistic conversation about that. But I think until then, probably not worth the time uh, to do. And then you get to uh, the Maryland game. So that comes up on Sunday. Uh, it's been a long time since I, you played Maryland, but way back on December 1st, uh, if, if you'll recall, the season was much different then. Uh, but I, you had uh, a number of guys, four guys in double figures over the course of that game. Khalil had 18 and 12, uh, had a really big game. Mackenzie Mbako, as I recall, uh, he ended up with 13 points in the game. This was one of the early games where he really started to get into a rhythm uh, I felt like, and, and maybe one where he started to turn the corner, Trey Galloway, 12.6 assists. Uh, and it was a game that IU really controlled pretty well, did let Maryland get back in it a little bit down the stretch as IU struggled with their, uh, they, they put it, they pressed a bit toward the end of the game. And IU had a little bit of trouble with that in, in what was, I believe, one of the first games uh, without Xavier Johnson during that stretch. So again, Long time ago, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. But uh, IU did win that game by 12 points uh, on December 1st. As I mentioned, Xavier Johnson did not play uh, his last game at Maryland two years ago, one of his best uh, in an IU uniform. Uh, and in this one, Maryland was a crisp 2 of 16 from three-point range. And IU was 3 of 9, but 10 of 8 from the free throw, or 10 of 18 from the free throw line. Uh, so maybe a, a harbinger of what was to come. Uh, for IU turnovers, as I mentioned, were an issue. Some of those coming late with 16 turnovers for IU uh, in that game. But one of IU's better defensive efforts, holding Maryland to 0.8 points per possession. Uh, from a Maryland perspective, they've been uh, a bit up and down, although more down than than up, I would say. Uh, of late, they've lost. Uh, they were two and six in their last eight games. I want to say, uh, losing most recently to Northwestern uh, on Wednesday night, and they've got uh, just two games left, uh, IU. Then they've got the week off before they finish at Penn State. They're currently 15-14, and 7-11 and 11 in the league. Um, you know, Coach, what are your, you know, keys to this game looking ahead to, uh, you know, to Maryland? Not sure how much Maryland you've watched over the course of doing uh, bracketology work this season. They have not been in that picture uh, for a little while, uh, at least now, but probably have played some teams that are. So uh, 
impressions of Maryland at this point in the season and, and maybe a key to the game looking ahead to Sunday? Yeah, I think it's, if I remember right to the first game, it, it's a pretty good matchup if they're still struggling from three because of the rim protection and the inside presence of, of wear. I think it, it bodes well for Indiana to, to win this game with a little bit better defense than what they've played in the past. So I think that's one of the better matchups. Indiana gets in trouble when they have quick, uh, well, they have the quick guard and young, but he's even a, a scorer in the lane more than he is a three-point shooter, uh, I believe. So it's the reason why they were able to win in, in game one. They were able to lock down the offensive sets of Maryland, force some threes, and Maryland wasn't a good three-point shooting team at that point, and I still don't think they are. So it's a matchup where Indiana can win, uh, and I think they uh, you know, have an advantage. Obviously, anytime they can go inside, they have an advantage. I think that plays well here at Maryland, but it's on the road. And re- winning on the road in the Big Ten has been tough for this program. It's been it's just tough for anyone. And Nebraska goes into Ohio State and loses tonight uh, on the road. So it's going to be difficult. But you, you win this game by, by defending and rebounding and then being able to do multiple things, uh, again, on offensive. I think this is a game which Indiana likes to be at the rim. I think they have the advantage uh, in talent and that and and I'm not predicting a win because of the road but it is a game that Indiana surely can compete in it, yeah if you look as you said three-point shooting they're currently ranked 354th in the nation in three-point shooting 28.2 percent uh, have really struggled offensively their efficiency numbers are not good on that and the best things that they do are hit the offensive glass and get fouled and get to the free throw line uh, so that'll be something that you know IU who's gotten themselves into some foul trouble at times what I will say about Maryland is they are currently fifth, as I look at it now, in adjusted defensive efficiency on Ken Palm. So, will be a uh, you know a, a tough matchup for IU in that regard. They defend both twos and threes. They're top fifty uh, in defensive uh, percentages for both of those. So, yeah, I think that's a that's a big one. You know, Ryan, what are you looking for in this game coming off of? Uh, you know, a, a big win that we talked about earlier for IU to be able to knock off Wisconsin. Uh, what, do you, what, do you, what are going to be the early signs for you if I use able to carry that momentum into this Maryland game? How do they come out early on the road? I mean, it, you know, it's <clears throat> can you carry the momentum that you had from that game where you finished it pretty well? You had a great first half for most of the first half, a bit of a lull at the end of the first half, which we've seen from them when they start fast. They sometimes, you know, let the other team come get back to them or come back to the other team, I guess I should say by not playing well. But I, I just think that it's going to matter how they start. You know, can they hit a couple shots early? Someone like Mbaco or X or whatever, hit a couple jumpers, uh, get everybody comfortable. So it's not just a slog inside <clears throat> where Maryland is pretty good uh, at defending. So I, I think that it's just going to be about how they start. And then, you know, it's just sort of maintaining that energy and focus that we did see against Wisconsin. We have not seen that consistently from Indiana this year. We didn't even see it really consistently in that game. You you missed out. You had about five, seven-minute stretch where that kind of got away from them. But I felt like it was much better against Wisconsin. Can you do that on the road? And can you do that for two games in a row, which, again, we haven't seen in a long time. So uh, that, that's just what I'm going to be looking at. It's that effort, that focus, and just sort of playing like a team. Uh, which we haven't seen much of from this team. And we did see, I thought, against Wisconsin. Yeah, I think as, as you look at it, it's, uh, as I mentioned, it's it's Maryland's last home game. So senior day for them, which you know, the two key pieces of that are Jameer Young and Dante Scott, who feels like he's been there forever. Uh, Young obviously has not been, started his career at Charlotte. But I think it's a game where if you can get off to a good start, 
not let a team get comfortable early, make a couple threes for a team that doesn't shoot them well. The last thing you really want is to to see them, uh, you know, get hot early and and be able to ride some of that momentum and the emotion uh, that is inherent on Senior Day. And I, and I think that largely comes back to how they can defend Jameer Young, uh, a really tough matchup, a guy who's, you know, some of the games that they have won this year, basically it's been him single handedly uh, willing them to to victories. Uh, in some of these games and, and, and even keeping them in others that they've, that they've lost in close fashion. They've had a number of uh, close losses lately. I, I mentioned they're two and six, but they lost by three to Rutgers. They lost in double overtime to Ohio state by five to Illinois, who they actually beat in Champaign earlier in the season by four at Wisconsin. So, you know, they've been right there in a lot of these games, just haven't had a ton of success. So, um, you know, he's the, he's the guy that you really need to try to figure out how to stop and, uh, what IU does defensively in terms of switching and some of those things where they put themselves in some disadvantageous matchups against a guy like Ace Baldwin by switching a bunch. Um, do, you, do you defend that a little bit differently with Jameer Young? And if I think if you can slow him down, you should feel pretty good about what you have. I think IU's matchups for Julian Reese inside can make things a little bit tough on him uh, as one of the other key uh, Maryland offensive contributors. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens and, and again, how this team – deals with the success they had and, and comes back at it. But again, that game's two o'clock on Sunday on CBS uh, for that one. So uh, we'll be back to, to talk about it after the game as we always are. Coach, you said you had something else NIT that you wanted to, uh, to hit. I don't know if th- this is your way of announcing that Delphi Bracketology is branching out into NIT Bracketology no, or if no, this no. is other. I was going to say in that um, regard. No, NIT I, I just, talk, coach. NIT wanna, talk. That's the way to bring in the listeners right there. Yeah. It's, well, no, it's an opportunity. I did not know this. I was at the Butler St. John's game and I realized that uh, Indianapolis and Hinkle Fieldhouse is hosting the NIT fi- semifinals and championship game. And so I just wanted to share that. Look it up online. Tickets are $40. Um, and, and, you know, whether you like the NIT tournament, if you're a college basketball junkie, Hinkle Fieldhouse is a must-visit venue. And for 40 bucks, you get three high-level college games or relatively high-level college games in a great venue. Uh, and I got 10th row side uh, right behind a, a visiting bench uh, as soon as I figured that out. So there's some pretty good low-level seats available. So basketball is basketball. Uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to watch the Elite Eight. And then on Tuesday and Thursday, I'm going to be in Indianapolis watching that. And then Saturday, watch the Final Four. Uh, I just wanted to share that because I was totally unaware of that opportunity for Indianapolis and Indiana uh, people who live in Indiana if uh, you want to make a trip to Hinko. It's just a beautiful, old, yeah. rundown facility that you must you must go to. That's that's offensive, Coach. How dare you say that? No, uh, but I will say the the semifinals and finals of the, of the NIT, while they don't mean anything to most people, they're usually pretty good games because it's the teams that usually just missed the tournament and probably, if it weren't for the automatic bids, would have been in the tournament fighting in you know somewhere or another. So, uh, I they usually are pretty good games. I've I've a couple times yeah. wound up you know just channel surfing found them and, and been really entertained by them so i i would i would recommend too if you have a chance to go just go it's college basketball have fun yeah i, I definitely did not know that and, and i would echo what you guys said i think there's a lot of times where there may be some teams that are kind of not really sure if they even want to play in it those get weeded out pretty early by the time you get to the end you've got teams who have really embraced that opportunity to to be able to finish their season on a positive note and uh it tends to be pretty competitive and the other thing I'll say about the NIT, they were talking about this a little bit at the end of the Nebraska-Ohio State game earlier was 
I, I assume it's just the six uh, major conferences, so don't totally quote me on this. But the way they're doing it now, the smaller conference champions who don't win their conference tournaments are no longer getting auto bids to the NIT. The teams that are getting auto bids to the NIT are the top two ranked teams in the net who don't make the NCAA tournament. So what they were saying on there was that would essentially be Iowa and Ohio State if you kind of looked at bracketology right now. Um, so not saying I use getting to that part of the conversation, but in terms of, you know, level of team, you're going to have some of that as you, uh, as you go through. So they've made some changes to make it, I don't know whether I love this quite honestly, but definitely are finding ways to cram more major conference teams into the NIT, uh, as is probably not shocking, um, whether that's good or bad for the event or not, we can probably have a different discussion, but, uh, that's the way they've chosen to go. So. Uh, again, kind of add some credence to the fact that it should be a, a couple of pretty good teams by by the time you get to that point. And one other basketball opportunity for people in the Indianapolis area, um, the Horizon League semifinals and championship are March 11th and 12th at the Indiana State Fairground. Uh, and, and, you know, that's Wright State and Oakland, uh, some really good basketball. So if you're jonesing for some basketball in a year where maybe Indiana struggle and just want to go see some a variety of basketball, there, there's some availability with the conference tournament there in Indy and the NIT uh, to continue watching basketball. Uh, some, some, some great – chances here in the state of indiana yeah and as coach probably knows from bracketology the horizon league is kind of crazy there's a bunch of teams that are uh right in the mix i just counted there's eight teams that are over 500 in the league so a lot of parity feel like that tournament always has some weird upsets but a lot of evenly matched teams should lead to some close games as you uh as you get into that one so uh all right well now that we've done our public service uh about giving people uh you know, good opportunities to watch basketball here. We're going to take a, a quick break and coming up on assembly call radio, we'll have that macro conversation that we've been trying to avoid a bit during the recent post game shows. Uh, we'll dive a bit into the state of the program next. And so uh, stick with us here on the assembly call. All right. Welcome everybody. Hey, <sighs> some of a double header. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Right after Coach Marlowe, I think, was doing, uh, doing the work, recapping the Northwestern win for the women's team. And, uh, yeah, what are they at right now? Are they 23 and 4? I'm not sure of that. They uh, they announced the 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 women's selection committee actually does a second top 16 reveal, which they did today, and IU was 14th in that. Uh, I saw, which seems somewhat strange to do it that close to when the actual selection show would be. I yeah. mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't take the help on the men's side if they want to do that, but you know, uh, but they were 14th today in that, so it makes you feel like take care of business at home against Maryland, put yourself in a good chance to be hosting. 
games in the, the first couple of rounds. Oh, by the way, uh, since this is basketball adjacent, if anyone wants to, uh, it doesn't like Darren Ravel and wants to read me dunk on him, go to the big league.com. Uh, I don't know if you guys, obviously, Caitlin Clark announced that she's going to go to the WNBA next year today. And Darren Ravel, who's a sports business reporter and also an idiot, uh, quote tweeted that and said, headline, Caitlin Clark chooses a $750,000 pay cut. And then people proceeded to tell him, well, she's not going to lose her sponsorships turning pro. And he said, well, she's not going to be getting the NIL money. And they were like, NIL money is all endorsements. And he's like, no, you guys don't know how NIL works. A collective pays the players and they're all, well, Caitlin Clark has been very open that she doesn't take money from collectives because she gets so much endorsement money. And he just kept stepping on his junk basically and making an absolute, I hate when that happens. Um, just being an absolute moron of himself repeatedly and never at some point if he'd just been like oh you know what i didn't know that uh, i just assumed she was getting it from the school or the collective or whatever my bad everyone would have been like okay he just didn't know but he's a sports business reporter and he didn't even know like how that worked and he just kept trying to prove himself right and nicole Auerbach from the athletic who was awesome was just in there just calling him an idiot the entire time which that's absolutely true so uh, if you don't if you don't like that and you want something basketball adjacent, uh, go to the big Yeah, Ryan, you probably don't have this luxury, but I did unfollow him at some point in the past. And so now the only time that I come across anything that he tweets out is exactly the scenario that you described where right. he says something stupid and everybody and then, him. and then everyone takes turns um, taking shots at him. So that's really when he reinserts himself into my life. Uh, I, which I will incredible. say he lost well over a hundred thousand followers after that i i checked uh but it, no i do not have the luxury of unfollowing him unfortunately but uh yeah that was just like dude just at some point just say yeah i'm wrong sorry i'm wrong i i, I was I, I you know got it wrong it's all you got to do and everyone would have been like okay you know it's women's basketball maybe he that's not his beat like whatever but what an idiot <laughs> and all on right. that note it's yeah. segment two <laughs> You ready, Andy? I had, to, I had to get a rant yeah. in at some point. Right? I'm ready. I'm ready whenever you are. Okay. All right, here we go. This is Verdell Jones. What's better than an epic buzzer beater, the full court dribble, and perfectly placed pass to set it all up? And, of course, celebrating with Hoosier Nation afterwards. So join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on an assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers. All right, thank you, Verdell, and welcome back to the assembly call. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Coach Brian Tonsoni and Ryan Phillips. May soon be joined by Jared Morris, depending upon how bedtime is going at the uh, at the Morris household. But um, yeah, we've always at least f- tried to frame this Thursday show as a way where we could talk more about the macro versus the post game shows, where we largely try to focus on the games themselves. Uh, obviously sometimes that works a little bit better than others and it's hard not to veer from, from one into the other a little bit, but I think we've really tried to do that over the last few weeks, perhaps successfully at times, perhaps unsuccessfully at others. And so, uh, you know, this is kind of that chance to, to look a little bit at the, you know, stay the program type questions at the, at the macro level. And so, you know, as I look at this, I think we can look at the, the first two years of Mike Woodson's tenure I think it's fair to categorize those as, as good seasons uh, made the tournament both years after a long hiatus, improved their seed from being a first four level team uh, and kind of sneaking in 
during his first season, which at that point was a, a real win and a big step for the program. Uh, as much as we would all want to not be at that point where that was a big step for the program, it really was. Uh, and then last year, getting up to a four seed, and uh, and, and you know a, you know both years winning a game in the tournament, losing in their second game, and so I think there's good things to be said about those seasons. And I think this season, it's fair to say it's been a much bigger step back than anyone could have reasonably expected. I, I think even those who underestimated the losses that this team had from a personnel perspective would not have thought that things would have, uh, you know, dipped to where they are in some of the rankings and different things like that. Uh, and so fans seem split. Uh, I think you probably could have some argument about what the, the split is um, on the direction of the program. Uh, feels like some people are ready to burn it down. Some want to stay the course and, and kind of everywhere in between on that spectrum. And so, you know, the question that we we're kind of faced with is where that leaves us as we head into the last few games of the season. And, um, you know, so with that, get into a couple other pieces of this. But, you know, Coach, how do you kind of view the totality of what Mike Woodson's tenure has been and kind of where things sit in your mind right now as you head down the stretch for, for this particular season? Yeah, I just think that the – the basketball program is, is not headed in a, in a good direction after three years of Coach Woodson. Um, the question comes down to does that deserve a fourth or whatever year? That, that's just very, very complicated. Uh, but Indiana basketball is not just about making the tournament. Indiana basketball it, it should be about making the tournament and playing well and being competitive year in and year out. And we've had coaches that have failed to do that. Um, and it's been a constant exercise of not hiring the right coach. And we have done that several times in a row. We've had some levels of success. We've been to a couple sweet 16s. We won a couple big 10 championships and, and that coach had some off the court things that drove people nuts and, and, and was let go. And, and Archie Miller was a failed experiment, which I was wrong about for a long time until about year four, when I finally saw the light. And I think uh, we did not make the best decision in bringing uh, Coach Woodson back. Um, I think he's a great guy, a great uh, iconic figure in Indiana basketball. And my worries was if he was – my main worry was if he's not good at his job, how difficult is it to fire someone that everyone loves? And we've seen it at St. John's. We've seen it at uh, with Chris Mullen coming back and not being able to to win we've seen it at Georgetown with Pat Ewing who won and got to the tournament got to the tournament just like coach Woodson's got to the tournament uh, when he ran the Big East tournament uh, won that but didn't then capitalize on that and both of those schools hung on too long I think Michigan's hanging on too long to Jawan Howard uh, that that's seen a five-year decline in basketball I think there are a lot of things that are very similar to what's happening. And when you go back and look at the coaching tenure at Atlanta and New York and some of the same issues are arising in the Indiana program, I just think that um, it's not working out. Um, the question becomes, what's the right thing to do about it? And that's for Scott Dolson and everyone else. Uh, there's a lot of uh, money People being who involved. Have to pay the money, yeah, yeah. The the donors and their influence. But if we are just happy making tournaments. And having an Indiana graduate coach our program, we're not a blue blood program. We don't deserve to be a blue blood program. We have to, we have to shoot for higher. And if the if the 
thought process is Woodson is the guy by those people who make decisions, then he better be the guy and he better do well in the fourth year and recruit and get out at sectionals and do the things and adapt to the college game that he has not shown that he's really done, in my opinion. And we all want that. That would be the best solution is that a big change this summer and a lot of things happen and, and one of our favorite guys brings Indiana to an Elite Eight next year and we all can relax a little bit. But it hasn't been there. In, a, in this year, and you worry if you just hang on too long. So that's that's where I'm at. I'm going to root for Coach Woodson. I'm going to root for Indiana on Sunday, and I really would like for Coach Woodson to make changes this summer if he's around again and win. I'm not going to root against that, but I am very skeptical right now of the direction of Indiana basketball under Mike Woodson. All right, Ryan, where are you at at this point <laughs> before we get into uh... – into some questions about some of this. I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to kind of play devil's ad, devil's advocate totally. on some of these things, but I'll, I'll let you understandable answer the same question I gave to coach. And then we can, can try to talk through it a bit. Let me, let me caveat everything I'm going to say by the fact that pretty much all year I've said, I think Mike Woodson's going to be back. I don't, th- I don't know. I agree. You know, I, I don't think that they're going to cut bait at this point, whether they should or not, I don't think they're going to. Um, and I, I think that the winds have shifted over the last two months to where that's a possibility now where it was absolutely not three months ago. Uh, And I know there is an upswell behind the scenes for why aren't we seeing changes? Why is this not getting better from a lot of people, administrators, uh, former players, uh, you know, people around the state who are important, whose opinions are important to the, the athletic department. A lot of people are having the same questions as, how is Mike Woodson not seeing the things we're seeing and changing them? Um, as far as the program, I think that the most important thing you can do as a coach in college is build your rosters properly because that app, you need the players to do anything. You know, you can coach guys up, you can put it, but if you don't have the guys who can be coached up, who can fit your system, who can do the things, it doesn't matter. Indiana's roster construction is a disaster right now in the portal last year we all said they need guards and wings and mike woodson went out and got khalil Ware, peyton sparks who are two big men now look khalil Ware's great i love khalil Ware, but from a roster construction standpoint having a seven foot back to the center who by the way should be playing more out on the perimeter as he's been showing lately as you're back to the basket center, while you have Malik Renew, who is basically why you want to make him more of a versatile guy. He's basically a back to the basket center. You went out and got those guys. And who was the third guy you got? Anthony Walker, who is, uh, I mean, he's not a direct post guy, but he's more of a front court player than a backcourt player. And you needed wings and you needed scoring from the perimeter. And he needed a, probably another ball handler. And you didn't go get those guys. Now I'm not saying they didn't try. They did. But when you don't get the guys you need, it's you don't blame the wind. It's your fault for not getting the guys you need. I mean, one of the reasons Tom Crean was let go, and it was a big thing at the time, was he was not getting the players that he needed, and they were going elsewhere. And he had not worked well with Indiana recruiting. It had changed. The, the wins against him in the state had changed. All of that. That was a big piece of why they let him go. The inconsistency was part of it. Some behind-the-scenes things were a part of it. But a big reason was he wasn't getting the guys he needed. You can't absolve a coach if he doesn't get the guys he he needs. That I mean, 
and it happens consistently. If you have a bad year in recruiting, you had a bad year in recruiting. But when it's consistent and next going into next year, they are going to have to have they got one high school recruit this year. One. Maybe somebody else falls off a tree somewhere and they're able to like pick them up, but you're going to have to portal your entire ro- a huge chunk of your roster next year. And that's the excuse people are giving for why they weren't at these two very important recruits games last night in the sectionals, whether it matters that you're there or not from a, you know, from a big picture perspective, it matters that you're not showing, you know, your actions speak louder than words and showing up matters. And when Mike Woodson after his first season didn't go to this Indiana state title game, and watch those games when coaches from 12 big schools were there and he was not, he was on vacation. That's I'm sorry. It's a bad look and it shows you don't get it. And, and so the other head coaches have had long-term deep connected relationships with these top recruits. And you hear from people that Indiana doesn't do that. And so I, I just, I think that you have to look at this situation and and be real with what's going on. Indiana has talent this year, but has a horribly constructed roster. And to make it better next year, you are going to have to hit a royal flush in the transfer portal. Is that possible? Sure. Indiana has NIL. It has resources. It has recruiting budgets. It has all of those things. You could do it. Is it likely? Probably not. And, And the other thing is, is that a lot of, Transfer guys are short-term solutions. So what's the long-term play here? And if you're missing out on these 2025 recruits, your future is down the drain as well. So you're just going to have to portal it again and portal it again. And I am of the belief that you can't portal your way to a championship. You can go out and get guys to supplement the roster you have, but building a roster through the transfer portal is a fool's errand. You might, and, and people will point out one team that made a run or something. It's like, okay, but the final four is not a collection of teams who built their team through the portal. You know, they might have a portal guy on their team, but it's teams that recruit really well, develop their players. And if they're missing, say a point guard, they go out and get a point guard. You don't go out and get a point guard, a wing, a center, all of these things and expect to be really good. So that's my problem is I just see like, okay, this offseason they're going to go have to go out and probably get five guys in the portal. And if they have one high school recruit coming in and then it's next year, are they going to land any of these 2025 guys? If they're not showing up and doing things like that, they probably won't. So what's after that? You got to go portal again and portal again. So that's where I'm at with the program. I just don't see the future here. It feels like it's year to year and you're not building a long-term foundation. And if that's the case, this is not the way to do it and win consistently. You're right, coach. You might make a tournament, might make a tournament even a couple years in a row, but you're not building a championship culture that way because the guys you're investing in are leaving before they have a chance to develop that culture. All right. So I'm going to attempt to unpack different parts of what we've talked about here. Can you remember uh, anything I said? Cause I talked for a really yeah, long time. I definitely no, I t- was not. I, I, I didn't listen to I didn't listen through. to any of it. But, I get it. <laughs> um, all right, so let's kind of talk about the, I, I guess I'll say the past uh, portion of it, and then I'm going to kind of do it in past, present, future. So the past part to me is, is it fair to basically dismiss what he's done the last couple of years? A lot of people seem willing to do that. Um, I think there's questions around how much of that was Trace, how much, whatever the case may be, for a program that hadn't gotten to the tournament at all. We can argue that they would have made it in the COVID season. They would have snuck in. 
we'll, we'll never know. They were right around the the cut line uh, on the night that they they beat Nebraska in the Big Ten tournament to to win the Big Ten tournament. Essentially, many are saying. Um, but you know, is it really fair to say you gave Archie longer than that? Didn't make the tournament. Didn't didn't do those things. And now he makes it a couple years. Has admittedly a very bad season. Uh, is that is that I guess two questions. One is that fair, and two, if it is, w- what do you think justifies that sentiment by a large portion of the fan base? So, Coach, I'll throw that to you first. Uh, I, I think you have to evaluate the whole entire uh, program, not just uh, the past results. Would be my answer to those people who say, "Well, we made the tournament." Uh, making the tournament uh, as a 12 seed, we were we were one, 20 minutes away from not making it. I know you see what you see too. In year if one, not, you're talking about. Yeah, in year one. If I'm not happy, I'm going to find all the negatives. If you do like Woodson, you do think it needs to be fair, and the answer to your question is you you need to give him credit for that. You're going to find the positives too. We're right at that where you're going to see what you want to see, and then so some of that bias you got to read through me tonight uh, when you're listening to this, but. That first half of the Michigan game in year one was one of some of the worst basketball I can remember. I, I was covering it for Delphi Bracketology, and I was just frustrated, just frustrated that they didn't show up. And then you had X and TJD just take over, and, and then they won again, right? So you got a 12 seed, you win, then you get blown out. Next year, TJD and Hood Shafino have great years. You get to the tournament, you play, you win one game, you get blown out. That, to me, is not Indiana basketball. Was that better than Archie? Yes. But if the criteria for keeping Coach Woodson is, well, he was better than Archie, what are we doing? What are we doing? Archie was not very good. So uh, I could have maybe been better than Archie, and I'm not good uh, as a coach. So um, I think the positive criterias don't carry a lot of weight with me uh, because I see the foundational things that Ryan talked about, the recruiting, the the adapting the pl- style of play to your um, – team, getting toughness, all of those things that help you win and build that winning culture. The best thing Ryan said was championship culture. I don't know that we are doing that regardless of the past results. That's Brian Tonsoni's opinion. The other opinion is, and what people will see from out away from the system is, how can you fire a guy that's been to the tournament two years in a row and then had his point guard go down? And I think those are legit arguments. I just think there are some underlying things that outweigh those arguments. Yeah, I think that those are fair questions to ask. I do. Um, I do think that when we look at just results, it's like box score watching instead of watching the game. Uh, and we see what we see with our eyes, and it's a lost team. And and I'll say this too. I think what sunk Archie was the fact that he was unwilling to change and alter his approach. He was so tied into his system that even when it wasn't working, he didn't make the necessary adjustments. And I'll say this too, year three was better for Archie. It was a trend upward. It looked like, oh, things are improving. Now that was a mirage and there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. And the fourth year was bad again. This has been the opposite where the first two years were decent and then fell off a cliff when he lost two NBA players and didn't replace them with, you know, a point guard. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got guys, but they haven't, you know, done enough to fill those roles. And I think even more importantly, you lost a bunch of senior leadership too. Um, So, but the problem is, is Mike Woodson tells on himself all the time. And I think that's the problem 
he said like you know the other day and it's a passing comment but it just opened your eyes to his basketball worldview and he said you know when i got into the nba nobody you only shot a three when you needed one and now guys shoot them all the time it's like mike why are you saying that out loud it's like you're surprised at the way basketball is played these days like even if you believe that don't say that because it makes you sound so out of touch with reality, especially if you then take that comment and look at the way Indiana plays where they don't do anything for shooters. They don't develop shooters. They're one of the worst shooting teams in the nation as far as the amount of points they get from three pointers and how they shoot at the free throw line. And it's been that way for three years. If Mike Woodson understood modern basketball, he would have brought in a shooting specialist as an assistant or something to develop shooters and make things better. And I know Liam McNeely's coming in next year. I'm scared for Liam in this offense that he will not be used properly and that he will not develop properly given what we've seen. Now, if we're going to hold on to Mike Woodson, which again, I think is probably the outcome if I'm looking at it, you can't run back the same thing. Like there need to be major structural changes to the program made. And if he does that, maybe you feel encouraged about moving forward. And I said that after the Penn State game when we were in Bloomington, if you watched that blowout loss and your first thought wasn't, oh my God, I have to change so much of what we do and we have to fix this now, then you're delusional. You are absolutely delusional. And so that's what I want to see from Mike Woodson if he's going to be around is him announcing, hey, what we're doing, the offense we're running, the things we're doing, not working. We're going to change what we do. We're going to bring in different types of players. I'm going to bring somebody in who's really good at offense, no shooting, and you know, reworks this. I'm going to, you know, change the way I recruit. Like let's, let's, you know, get some guys in here behind the scenes who are really good at this. And, you know, because if he doesn't do that, it feels like he thinks he's entitled to the job no matter what he does. And so, and, and he's more beholden to a system than the actual winning of games, which is a problem. All right. All right, Ryan, we're going to have to put you on some kind of words restriction here for a little bit, or we're you know, not going to be able to get through the rest. All right. So let's talk. So let's talk present. It's like now. he's had some things to say. On we talked about the, yeah. we, so we talked about, so we talked about the past. I'm just, I'm just joking, but I mean, people in the chat are not joking. Um, all right. So anyway, so we got, um, so we talk about the present. So I think the one thing with this team that everybody who wants to push back on why this season has gone so far awry is not having Xavier Johnson. Uh, and so Jared, your, your timing here is, uh, perhaps not impeccable, the bad but, signal, <laughs> uh, unfortunate perhaps for you. Um, but I, you know, so I think that's, that's one thing that gets thrown out, you know, having him was the, you know, the Jenga piece that everything kind of caused, it caused everything to fall apart. Um, you know, so how do you juxtapose that with what you've seen with him on the court versus off and, and how much of a factor do you think it's, how much of this season's trouble is fair to attribute to, to his, his multiple absences over the course of the year? A pretty decent amount. I mean, I think we're lying or obfuscating the truth if we don't admit that. This team would be better with Xavier Johnson. How many more wins would they have? You know, who knows? I think they would have at least two or three more wins, even if you just have the Xavier Johnson from this season that was erratic, because that's kind of the track that Indiana was on with him playing good in half of his games, bad in half of his games, and then missing the others. The unknown is if he doesn't get hurt 
and he is able to get back into a rhythm, is he playing a lot better now than he was early in the season? We'll never know. I completely understand why Mike Woodson wonders about this stuff and stays up at night thinking about it. This is what coaches do. I didn't. I don't know why people criticized Woody for that comment. He was just being maybe a little bit too honest. The problem is, even if the team is two or three games better with Xavier Johnson, it doesn't solve all these other underlying issues that we're talking about. You know, so those two things can be true. It's like people last year that said the team wouldn't have been better if X hadn't gotten hurt. Are you crazy? Like, it's not a coincidence that our best defense under Woodson was the first year when Xavier Johnson was healthy the whole season. So you can criticize X and point out all of his flaws and all of those things, you know, but the team is better with him, but it doesn't fix the underlying issues. And that, that I think, is the big problem here is, number one, you built a roster that was so dependent on him. That in and of itself is a problem. We all knew that in the offseason that he was going to be such an important piece and that you didn't have a backup plan and that everything fell apart without him in there. That's, that's a big issue. Um, you know, to me, and I've really wrestled with this. You guys know that I've wrestled with this. We all have. Because I think it's very easy to make a case for Mike Woodson deserves a fourth year because he made two NCAA tournaments. He achieved some real stuff for this program that hadn't been done, beating Purdue, doing all this stuff. But this is big-time college athletics. And so you can put over here on this side, okay, the coach, I can make an argument why he deserves a fourth year. But the other discussion is, yeah, but can we do better? Because we now have three seasons of evidence. And if you're going to go into a fourth season with a lame duck coach, where that staff necessarily, their focus is going to be on self-preservation this year. We got to focus on the portal and hit a home run this year, potentially to the detriment of the future of the program because the incentives are misaligned. So you have to think, okay, Woody deserves a fourth year and him deserving that fourth year is stronger than my belief that we could do better and have someone in place who would be taking care of the future of the program better. That's the problem. So it's not this binary of you hate Woodson or you don't. You think he doesn't deserve a fourth year or you don't. Like it's, yeah, I think I can make a case that he deserves a fourth year. I also think Indiana could do better. And I think in this era of college basketball, with so much at stake, with all the movement and all the things that are happening, and that being Indiana's biggest brand, how long can you afford to have this program mired in mediocrity? And so if the opportunity cost of a fourth season is a better, a more proven coach who is going to be incentivized to have the future of the program in mind, you know, I get it. Woody's a legend, and you would like to see a guy who deserves something get it if you believe that. And there are also arguments for why he wouldn't deserve a fourth year, and I'll hear those. That's fine. But, you know, you would have to <laughs> – you would really have to go against in some ways the best interests of the program to give Woody, you know, to give a legend kind of what you think he deserves. And so to me, if we keep Mike Woodson, I will support him. You know, I will obviously just like we always do. But to me, that will indicate that there are priorities higher than winning driving the decision making in Indiana for basketball. I, I just don't know how else to look at it right now, because I think it's fair to expect that there would be better options uh, more prove. Let me say this: more proven options at this level of college basketball than Mike Woodson. If we chose to open up the coaching search, I'm going to say something, and, and let's be real: this doesn't re exist in reality, but it's what would be healthiest for everybody involved. Mike Woodson's status as a former player should have nothing to do with whether or not he gets another season. What he's done at Indiana as the head coach should be the only thing he's judged by. Now, 
I know. He got the job because of that status, and that should be enough. He shouldn't should be keep enough. it because of that status. Absolutely. Because yes, if you start putting those old emotions into it, you're clouding the actual facts of the case. And while I know, I, I said it when he got hired, that if he had the same record as Archie Miller after four years, he was absolutely going to get a fifth year because of who he is. That should not be the case, though. Just like I think you shouldn't hire somebody be solely because of who they played for or whatever. Now, I know that happens. It's happened. Indiana is not the only school who's done that. But that should not be the deciding factor in who you hire, and it should not be the deciding factor in who you fire. You use track record and all the available information other than that to make your decision. If it happens to be, you know, somebody who's, you know, has that pedigree, amazing. But that should not be the determining factor. It shouldn't even be considered. You know, Indiana's best game short of uh, beating Wisconsin was Kansas without X. And and then you win two Big Ten games without X. Would this team be better without X? Absolutely. I I think there's no argument. Defensively, pushing the basketball. We saw that in the first half of Wisconsin when he was at his best, and he got back to a little bit of struggles in the second half. Even just for depth as a backup, that would help make the team better. But that that just speaks of the concern of evaluating the program where it's at now. It's like, what happened? those same guys then went to lose when he got hurt the second time to lose games. They, that group is not playing as well. That, that, that's a concern when you talk about the X factor, right? That those guys did play good basketball or better basketball in December. And now X gets hurt the second time and you lose 15 points at home to teams that you probably don't want to be losing to. So, so there's that. And, and I think you guys said it uh, really well. I think coaches deserve longer time. I've been pro coach to a fault, even on this show. And, and I think that it, it, it's, is inherently unfair to not have a chance to fix a down year. If he had had three bad years, I think it's a no-brainer. Uh, but he he had the, the, a marginally good one the first year, got us to the tournament, outstanding uh, year, and then a really poor year. I do think it's fair to give him another year if changes can be made. And so the, the onus is on the athletic department and whoever is in the decision-making realm to really sit down with Coach Woodson and see where he's at philosophically with the program, that's recruiting, that's player development, that is everything that needs to go on. And if it could help build Indiana successfully, then give him a fourth year because then he's willing to make those changes. If he says, no, it's only X's injury and it was the kids didn't make three-pointers and he's in that conversation in a, in a professional meeting – then that might be the signal that, hey, this guy's not going to change. And if what he doesn't change, we're back a year. If he's if he's back for the fourth year and doesn't change and it's more of the same, we're in, we're in a little bit more trouble, a lot more trouble. But if he can, to some extent, I think he deserves that fourth year, um, even though I'm not happy with, with the direction. So I think it's just a really interesting dilemma right now for Scott Dolson and the powers to be. I think, Coach, you express an interesting middle ground that I buy into, which is – if Woody truly would say, okay, I'm amenable to changes, whether that's bringing in an offensive coordinator, right, that we've seen a lot of people do, maybe it's bringing in a GM or a recruiting coordinator that's going to oversee all of that stuff, take some of this off his plate so he can kind of be more of the NBA head coach that he's used to being and do the stuff he's good at, I would be much more open to a fourth season because now, to me, you've got something to kind of buy into and maybe this could be different because here's the other big problem here. And I'm not sure if this is something they've talked about on X's and Joe's yet, or if this is something that Mike and I have just talked about. I know they're planning it for an episode, but 
you know, when you look at the history of coaching hires, it's a really, really bad sign when a coach does poorly in their third season. You know, if a coach does poorly in their first or second season during the honeymoon period, not as big of a deal, you know, and, and Woody was close to that. Coach, I, I heard you talking about the Michigan game and, and how close we were, but to his credit, they won, and he deserves credit for that. Having a year this bad in year three where the honeymoon period is over and, you know, the recruiting kind of starts to take a dip, just historically, it's really hard to turn it back around, you know, and so that's where, to me, even though you say, I believe he deserves a fourth year, you would be doing that for reasons other than winning if you're going to look Agreed. at this kind of from a pragmatic standpoint. And that's the problem. You know, what I hate about this, what I really, really hate is where you, you talk about this and then people are like, well, you know, you've never supported Woody. You don't like him. You don't want him to win. Like, it is about none of that. That's ridiculous. It's straight basketball. And it's looking at the empirical evidence to try and suggest what is the real hope here moving forward. And you objectively were very positive on Woody. Or I mean, you know, I mean, you know, you, you tend to be that. I'm know, always going to give be yeah. very patient for two years. Totally. I think coaches deserve it. And then year three, because of how important year three is, you know, that's when I think you that's, have to start being a little more critical because that really sets up the future the of future. the program. Year three is the prove it year. It is. Yeah. And and I hear a lot of people say, why did people have so much more patience with Archie Miller? It's like after year two, we were saying he needed an offensive coordinator and the pack line. You got to loosen it a little and all that. Like we saw the writing on the wall that it wasn't going great. But then in year three, he was on the track to make the tournament. And so you see more of a positive development. But we were still skeptical of it. I mean, you can watch. I went back and watched some of our offseason shows then. We were absolutely skeptical he was the guy. And, yeah. and you know, it's the same thing. You see it with your eyes on the court. And you see it with your eyes on the court that there are just things this program doesn't do that other teams in college basketball that are successful do. All right. So I want to look at a couple of future things here uh ryan i tried to make fun of you earlier for the longest quote one sentence rebuttal uh in the history of sentences but i i had muted myself so i shot myself in the foot while trying to make fun of you so i guess that's what i get Swing uh, miss. all right so anyway there were uh, lots so, of commas andy so two yeah there was, there was a lot of commas maybe a few ellipses in there who knows uh, look i'm anyway, a writer I, we can we can squeeze that out of anything so all right so so the two things i really want to talk about as you kind of move to the future looking part of this is a little bit of what you started to get into in terms of you know what he would look at so you know one big thing is the roster right you're going to lose khalil Ware, you're going to lose x you're going to lose anthony walker for sure just you know mark those down that's done they either don't have eligibility or would be absolutely nuts to come back in the in the case of khalil Ware. so so you've got that. So that's that's really one thing. So how do you and I understand the NIL resources and all of that stuff. You got to go hard at the portal at this point and you really can't miss um, because you're going to end up with, I mean, presumably four or five guys from the portal to really be able to do that. So that's me. You know, if you want to look at concerns, the roster needs a lot based on what you're losing. I think what happens with the roster will also tell you more about how this team will play next year. And if a style of play change is coming, if they go out and get people that suggest Malik renew is playing the four again, coming back and really eliminate some of those chances for playing a little bit smaller. I think that tells you that they're, you know, that those, those roster decisions tell you if there is or isn't going to be some kind of style of play change to address some of the concerns. 
Two is just a volume of impact guys that you have to get. Um, because when you look down the rest of the roster, you're still sitting in the situation where you have very few guys that are going to be coming back that you know what you can expect. Uh, Mackenzie Mbako, I think, is a question mark in terms of whether he would come back. Um, they talked about that in the, a little bit on the latest episode of X's and Joe's with, with Sam Story. You know, so there's a lot there. So, you know, Coach, I'll throw this to you first. I mean, how do you just view all of the roster things that need to happen in order to get this team to turn back around? Because it's going to tie into expectations, which is my other thing I want to talk about from a future standpoint before we try to wrap this up. But, like, how do you even go about the amount of roster changes that need to take place to get from where this team is right now and this program is right now to a spot that would be acceptable in year four. I, I don't know, Andy, to be honest with you. There well, could damn be a it, lot... we need you to figure well... it out. <laughs> <laughs> I got Andy to cuss at me. This is, this is prime <laughs> viewing right here. Um, yeah. It's it's going to be more than the number you think, um, to be honest. That scares me, too. Uh, we don't know uh, the underclassmen who might decide to head elsewhere, too. You know, So if everyone's back, there's a large number that needs to be replaced. And, and, and if everyone is not back, there, you know, then it becomes a, can you fit six or seven players from different programs into a year and have that magical year. The The reason Indiana was good last year is you had senior leadership, you had two pros, and you had a, a pro that was there for four years in his fourth year. And, and Ryan was correct, and I have to say that, when he said, you know. I get um, it how hard that was. It's fine. No, I, you're really more correct than everyone gives you gives you credit for. Um, and now I even forgot what you were correct about. Um, Easy to do when no one gives them credit, Coach. No, That's but okay. – where, what, where was my point on this? Um, <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted. You were giving us the answer. You had this figured yeah. out. Come on. No, you were talking about a, a fourth-year guy, you know, yeah. coming back. Or, no, where, where you say it's just, it's just you have to have uh, a lot of roster, two, three, four-year guys, and then fit two or three portal guys in. That's how yes. you win and use the portal. I think that was you that said that, Ryan. Right? You can't yep. go seven portal guys or. There have been a few examples. Kansas State did it. Uh, Jerome Tang did it in year one. Like, you really have to be dynamic in coaching and molding uh, your team. I don't know that you can go get seven guys that all fit the way you want to play, which is heavy ball screen, heavy post, heavy isolation. You you have to if you're going to stay with that. Or has Coach Woodson demonstrated this ability to take seven guys, mold them into one in one quick year with the excuses that have been made about we're still learning each other with four games left and they're slow to get to the defense. Aren't we going to see a repeat of that? We have not seen a, a new roster put together that developed quickly this year. So what gives us pause about next year? But I think you got to identify your style of play. I think you got to find the players that will come here and not necessarily look at the top 10. Get You need a good point guard and, and you need a couple top end transfers but there's some good mid-level transfers we're seeing a ton of that in college basketball right now where guys were really good at southern illinois or whatever and they come in they're making a huge impact at big 10 schools so you've got to widen your net a little bit uh to get four or five six or seven guys that'll fit but i think that's the major thing you can't just go for the two or three top and when you don't get them then 
then you're just going to take take some other players down the list. I think you really have to be focused um, on a lot of different types of kids to bring in if you really want to make it successful and mesh for a year. Ryan, give us one sentence on what IU needs to do in the portal. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh land everyone basically that's it that's what i said no more I'm zoom kidding. calls i'm kidding i'm person. kidding you can expand I, i'm just joking. no i no i i mean they need they need to hit a, an absolute royal flush grand slam whatever you want to say i mean they're gonna have to nail four to five guys to be good next year i mean you assume malik is returning other than that what do you know gabe cups and malik renew are Gallo- the only guys Gallo is more likely to stay than he is to go We've heard some things on that. Like, I, I agree it's more likely than not, but we'll see. So let's say we have two and a half spots that are contributors filled. Um, you're going to, but you're going to need a bench too. It's not just, you know, it's not just the starters. You're going to need a bench that contributes. You're going to need, and, and Indiana hasn't really had that. And yeah, I, they got to hit five guys who can all play at the Big Ten level and contribute and score and shoot. I mean, well, who was the last team to do that? Indiana has the resources. And, and we, we said early, could they do that? Yeah, probably. They probably could. Will they? I mean, that's that's asking a lot. It's asking a lot. And you got to focus yeah. that portal. You can't just take the top guys come in and like, like this year. We have good guys, but they don't fit. Yeah, it, exactly. it was the discussion in, in the preseason that we have two fives and a four out there playing basketball. Um, and, and we don't have any twos. I mean, the the, the roster construction, you got to be focused on getting uh, a balanced roster. And when you got to get four, five, six guys, that's more difficult uh, than I think any of us will would, would even try to understand. Yeah, and I, and I think, Jared, before I throw it to you, I think that's ultimately where the biggest challenge is to me. You You've got – I think the window for that is a little bit shorter this year than it has been in the past. And you really have to line up the dominoes that you're going to get in order to make that work. You know, it's not breaking any ground to anybody to say the biggest needs this team has is dynamic backcourt and wing players. Now, Liam McNeely helped solve some of that on the wing. um, But you really need an upgrade in the backcourt to, to what you thought you were going to get from Xavier Johnson this year. And, and you really can't miss there Uh, for as much as Galloway has improved as a playmaker and that you hope he's back. I think he could use some of those skills, but in a lesser role uh, on the team. And, And to me, that's what you've got to get first. I think that's kind of the inverse of what they did this year. They were able to get where early on and that kind of dictated some other things that you would do. Like you've got to get the backcourt figured out early. And so in a world where there are tons of guys in the portal who everybody's trying to go after your coordination of how those pieces fit together, who you get first and, and all of those things become really important and really difficult when you have to get that many guys, when you're looking for supporting players or guys to plug a very, you know, one or two specific holes, you don't have the, the same dynamics aren't at play. Um, and so as you look ahead to the future, like that's what concerns me is the amount of overhaul that there needs to be on the roster. So Jared, uh, thoughts on roster construction before we move to the last thing I wanted to hit on from a a future looking perspective. 
Ryan, you want to talk point guard real quick? Yeah, and then I'll go. just one thing. I mean, when you look at it, because we're talking about X a lot, and if you look at when the when the the team was the most successful was when Jalen Huchifino was on the floor. And what shot did Jalen take a lot of? Long twos in which he made. Jalen didn't get to the rim as much as he pulled up. And so this offense wasn't at its best when the guy was getting to the rim. And it's not that he couldn't get there. It's that the floor wasn't open enough for him to get there. And the best option most of the time was for him to take a long two. And he's one of the only players I'd ever be okay taking that shot because he hit it a lot. So and to be fair, look, he usually got into the mid range. His he usually did. weren't always long you're, twos. I mean, you're, you're right, but there were pull ups basically. Yeah. Is what I'm saying, it wasn't at the rim, and so that's when the offense was most successful. Xavier can't do that, and so maybe part of the reason this offense hasn't been as successful when he's been in charge is because you can't get to the rim with how packed that offense is. So do you go and get a portal guard who can pull up? I mean, you may have to with how clogged the lanes are and things. And so it's just an interesting look that you would figure off the pick and roll. You're either getting to the rim and getting a dunk or you're popping and getting a shot. Instead, with Indiana, when it's been the best, has been a freshman guard pulling up from 15 feet. So, you know. And herein lies the problem, Ryan, which is that we are getting to the end of year three, which is when this should be starting to reach a crescendo. And we're having conversations questioning the very foundation of the offense that we're running and suggesting that we might need to change it and trying to figure out how to hit a home run through the portal, not really knowing which one of these two areas that we're going in. These are not the conversations successful coaching tenures have at the end of year three. They just usually, they just usually aren't. And, and that's part of the problem here is, again, just everything is pointing in a direction that usually sinks a program. You know, we talk about they have to hit a home run in the portal. They are probably going to have to fill five or six spots in the portal. You know, that if you just kind of average things out and what are we expecting, it's probably going to be at least five. I know work has been done, you know, in the background already because that's how college basketball is right now. But the history, even just the short history now of teams that have had at least, I think, five portal guys, it's not good. You know, Arkansas, everybody points to Arkansas. They're not good this year. They've had some season. You know, Arkansas had a season or two. Kansas State had a season or two. But if you're looking at those as, you know, as the ones that you're banking on, that's survivorship bias. Look at all the rest of them that haven't. That's the problem. You know, so Andy, you know, someone asked me today. It's like, well, what if he goes out and hits a home run in the portal and we are second in the Big Ten and we make the Sweet 16 and we put a couple more guys in the NBA? Aren't you going to look back on this conversation and think it was all a little bit ridiculous and overblown? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, if we could do that, that'd be great. Now, please go find me someone who would credibly say that that is a reasonable possibility. Because the needle that we're trying to thread, once again, we, we talk about in games, Indiana's trying to thread this needle where they have this very narrow path to victory. And every now and then it works, but man, most of the time it doesn't. Well, this is just the same thing on a macro level. And so, you know, again, like it's not this binary thing. You can say that he deserves the fourth year. You can say you're intrigued to see if it could happen. There is a path where it could work. But is, is this what we want after, after year three? You know, if we say that Woody has done a good job, is that enough? Don't we want a coach who does a great job? You know, so that's the problem here is it's, you know, you can still say these things about Woody and, and, and give him credit for all the things that have been done and even say, okay, here's the path where this could work and I'll be charitable and say, maybe you can make this work. But what if option B, C, and D over here are all very much more likely and it's easier to point to how that's better for the future? 
That's the complexity of this. And it, on social media, it gets all simplified into, you know, binary things. And that's not what this discussion is, you know. And, and so every time we come up here, it's like we just hit this roadblock of, I mean, yeah, I guess that could work. But, you know, is that our slogan next year? Indiana basketball. Yeah, I guess it could work. I think we can the, do better. That's where I keep landing. The other thing that, that's really good about what you say, too, is let, let's say the best situation happens and we get to a sweet, sweet 16 and we hit the portal. It's likely that a lot of those guys are one year or two years, and then you got to do that problem. again, right? So yes. is that a long-term plan for five, six, seven, eight years to get Indiana back where we all want Indiana back is to have one-year shots with without you know getting that foundational recruiting base and only then getting one or two portals to supplement, right? We have not seen that. That's the big part of where I, I totally agree with you is it is – it is now quicker. I always used to say give five years, but with NIL and, and the portal and things like that, and then listening to X's and Joe's, the historical point, uh, three years is a really solid window that this program should be in better places than it is right now. And yes, it might be sentimental to give that favorite son another chance, but there are also history, uh, just like the portal stats that you said, there are history with NBA coaches going back to their alma maters and hanging on and, and just staying way too long. So it's a tough decision, and I know there are, it's a heated decision um, and people on both sides, but I, I do think you have to take away all of that stuff and look at what's best going forward for Indiana basketball. And if that's giving Woodson a fourth, then it better work out. It, it just so it has to. Yeah, so that's that's a good segue to the other future thing I wanted to talk about, and then we can uh, wrap this segment segment up. Um, it's expectations. So, assuming that he comes back, um, that's really where this question becomes important, right? And this is something that, whether it's X and, X's and Joe's talking about chip stacks, whether it's uh, something Scott's brought up on uh, on Crimson Cast a number of times, like there's a there's an element of once you have disappointed or had a bad year or whatever you want to categorize this as you got to do something to really overcorrect for that. And, you know, I, I like, what, what do you, Jared, I'll let you go first this time since I saved you till last the other time. Like let's assume things go the way that they need them to in the portal. Let's assume, or even if they don't after the way this season is gone, like what are the, real expectations going to be for this program and are they attainable based on what we know uh, at this point I, I just think the expectations are going to be through the roof because you have to get back to where you at a minimum it feels like get back to where they were last year to a you know easily in the NCAA tournament top seed whatever and then that allows you to say look this year was the aberration very clearly. I think much short of that, it becomes difficult to point to this year as the as the outlier, as the anomaly. Andy, this is the question that I've had a hard time with, which is why for so long I've been saying So glad I asked you first. Year, well, no, but but I think this is the issue. It's like, okay. Okay, let's say that we get on board with this and there's an offensive coordinator brought in and like all this stuff that we want to see happen and we're like, okay, it seems like Woody's ready to make a change. Now, what are the expectations? I mean, I, I think what you laid out, Andy, should be perfectly reasonable. I mean, that is such a low bar for the fourth year of a coach, but it would be reasonable 
to expect, but is it actually reasonable to attain? I mean, we didn't just drop to like 50th in Ken Palm this year. We're a hundred and second. I mean, like the bottom fell out of this thing and we're going to have to rebuild some core pieces there. So, I mean, I understand what we should expect, but what's reasonable, I don't know. And the problem is Andy, again, it's year four. So it can't just be, okay, you've got to win this many games. You've got to be here in the Big Ten. You've got to do this in the NCAA tournament. It's also about, and what kind of foundation is being laid for the future? Because if you just sell out, get to a Sweet 16, get back to second in the Big Ten, but then we're doing it all over again next year, that's not successful. So there's a whole lot there. This is where I keep coming back to is whatever expectations are reasonable, I don't really think they're attainable. And so what are we doing? I don't know, you know, and, and and maybe people disagree with that, but like this program has really fallen this season. And there's a lot that has to be done to rebuild it. I mean, it's kind of a two or three year rebuilding job at this point if we're going to do it in any meaningful, sustainable way. And and so that's where I think this question is really hard to answer. It's just in, in any way that's going to shine a positive light on Mike Woodson, which I would like to, believe me but I can't credibly argue something that I just can't really make sense in my mind. Ryan, your, your thoughts on what the expectations would be heading into next season and, and, and the predicament that that ends up, you know, putting around this whole thing. I mean, at some point in the first four years, you've got to hit the sweet 16, right? You know, and if you can't do that, what are we doing? It's not just, well, we got back to the tournament. You know, like, why is that the bar? Why are we lowering it that far in your fourth year? And and I get they lost a lot last year, but you have the resources to figure that out and you didn't use them properly. Um, just like I don't think you're using your recruiting days properly. And, you know, I mean, they, look, if you're going to talk about it, like, again, and, and I, I think that this goes to expectations is you raised expectations by going after all of these top recruits for this year, all of these five stars. And you went to Montverde, God knows how many times to watch those guys. And you went after all these five stars. And that's great. I love that you go big game hunting. I think that's that. But if you don't land those guys, you have to have a backup plan. And Indiana has one recruit coming next year. Again, you raised the expectations when you stepped to that podium in your first, you said we're chasing championships, not I'm getting us back to the first round of the NCAA tournament, maybe the second, and then we're going to, then whatever happens sucks. So if this is not a, a program heading towards a championship, or at least where you can see that on the path ahead, you don't have to win it in the first four years, but you have to see the path towards it. What are we doing? Like, why are you here? If it's just to limp back into the tournament every couple of years, you know, maybe two out of every three years and, and be in the top, four, five, six, seven of a crowded big 10. I mean, what, why, why do it? Why continue to do it? That's not what Indiana basketball should be. And you look right up the road and you've got a team that is dominating the big 10 and had, you know, even though they got bounced in the tournament and we all laugh about it and all of that stuff before Zach Eady got there before the COVID season, three years in a row, two sweet 16s and an elite eight and two big 10 championships. They're doing it. Why can't Indiana? So that that's how I feel. If you're not moving towards that, that this it, it cut the cord as fast as possible. Coach, thoughts on the impact of of expectations heading into 
uh, next season? Um, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I just will repeat what everyone said. The, the expectations were, I, I need to figure out how I'm going to get excited. Uh, I'll be here. I'll do the show. I, I love being on assembly call. I love Indiana. I will root for them. Uh, I really liked going down and covering games, but I'm not sure I'm going to drive two hours, uh, until I see some true results that things have changed, right? Two hours there, two hours back on a Tuesday night. Um, I would do that in a heartbeat in, in most years, but that just tells you where, where I'm at. I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting on Indiana basketball program, but I'm disillusioned, um, as a fan, as an alum, uh, I am disillusioned about the direction of the program. The expectations are that you are in the top four of the big 10 every year. And I will give you leeway when you start a couple years to get there and then to make a tournament and to play well in the tournament. And I know there are out, the outliers should be when you're on the bubble and the outliers should be when you, you have an injury and it is devastating and you're still competitive. Like we were at the beginning of the year, not here towards the end of the year, the expectations are, I know it's been a long time. I know people make fun of us all the time, but it's Indiana basketball. It was what Bob Knight brought us. It's championship basketball. In his worst years, we were having bad losses in the first or second round. Now we're celebrating just getting to the first round. That saddens me, and I hope before my time is done that we have championship culture. Whoever said that on the panel tonight, uh, kudos to you. Championship culture. And I... I don't believe we have it. The expectations would be to get that back, whether it's Coach Woodson or another coach, to get that back as soon as possible. And if we have people who are good enough in college basketball and want to come here, I think we need to do what we need to do to get them here, whether that's now or in a year from now or two years from now, because our fan base is fantastic. We got 342 people here listening to this show. Uh, the fans deserve it uh, for, you know – they just do uh, after the year. And, and we don't want to lose it forever, what we had under Coach Knight. So the expectations are more than just a Sweet 16. Championship culture immediately. And I just don't know where that's going without it, without some sort of change with the current staff, wholesale changes in how they operate. And, and they, they, they won't say it publicly, but they need to make sure Dolson and everyone else believes it. And then we need to see it with the results or a coaching change. But – we need to change this media, mediocre, mediocre, I can't even speak, mediocre way that we're doing business. And, and someone said it's not a hump, it's a mountain. We got to get over the mountain. And it's been, the mountain's been added to, not cut down under Mike Woodson. You know, Coach, you said something there that was interesting, which is you're going to keep supporting the program. You're going to keep cheering for the program, rooting for them. That, you know, we're all like that. Like, this is in our blood. The people who are still here right now, it's in your blood. Because if you, if you had better things to do, you would probably be doing them right now in a season like this. And so I think we're all there. And the fans have been there with Mike Woodson through these first, you know, 2.9 seasons, you know, whatever it is, have been supporting him, have been trying to give him the lift he needs. But what fans want is more, we, like, of course we're going to cheer and support. What we want is to believe in our coach. What we want is to trust our coach. And the reason why you saw all that stuff coming out last night, because they weren't at the recruiting events, that no one made a peep about that stuff, really, certainly not publicly, the first few years, when things were going and there was trust and there was belief, that was the biggest manifestation, well, maybe not the biggest one, but certainly a manifestation of the lack of trust. 
because you see this happening and the first thought isn't it's okay they got a plan they, you know they're doing something it's oh my gosh this is out of the ordinary and i don't trust that the staff is doing it the right way that's hard to pull back from and that's something that you can't fake no fans went into this saying, <laughs> oh, I'll give him two years, but year three, I'm going to turn on him. No, it happened because of the things that we've seen, the buildup of red flags, the buildup of poor performances. It's a very visceral feeling. And it's not something that you can just shift with words at a press conference or you know promises in the offseason or even with the portal. And again, like we said, a lot of coaches don't come back from it. That's the unfortunate part. But it's not fans wanting that to happen. It's just because viscerally in our gut, we've stopped believing and stopped trusting. And that's a hard way to watch. We'll watch and root and, and be there for the guys you know, during games and cheer as hard as we can for them. But that's one way to be a fan. And the way Indiana basketball fans know and expect to be a fan is to also have some belief and some trust. And right now that's gone. And I'm not sure what the path is for this staff rebuilding it. As tough as that is to say, because we like a lot of them personally. They're great people, good families. You know, it's I don't. It's uncomfortable for me talking about this stuff in public because of that. It always has been, but you know, it's big time college basketball also, and so you know, there's a lot at stake. It's an urgent time, and that's why all this is coming to a head right now. All right. Well, that was perhaps the longest. Uh segment in show history so we've got that going for us but uh but anyway i like we said uh felt like good time to talk about it so we'll uh take a quick break come back answer a few questions even though we're running a bit long so stick with us here on the assembly call all right well, that was I mean, uplifting. I like go. this producer role. I could just go, you know, just end a segment yeah. by hitting the music whenever I want. It's kind of <laughs> powerful. Go. If I don't it's screw true. it up. Well, you know, we'll be fine. Uh, if you want to do a couple of these, I'll stay for the bractology one, and then I probably got to All right, let me – okay, one thing, one thing I just wanted to say, and maybe we can make this kind of the, the capper on this real quick. It seems like there's three general options. One is he deserves a fourth year, and I'm going to give it to him. Two is he deserves a fourth year. I don't have a lot of belief in it, but if they can show a reasonable path toward changes, whether it's bringing in a new coach or whatever those changes might be, I'm willing to be open-minded to it. That's option B. And option C is I think we can do better, and I'm ready to move on. I'm in the category of C. I could be persuaded. There's, there's a chance I could be persuaded on B, but I'm in the category of C at this moment. Yeah. Just to just to put it out there where I'm feeling. I, I've been there for a few months. As you all know. I think you yes. all know. I've been there for, for quite some I was time. there what? I was at C three years ago. <laughs> Coach, come on. <laughs> Look. I mean, no, what I'm saying is, but we all we're willing to give a job. Yeah. We're all you willing to saying. give it a chance and hope. No, I, I think that, I apologize. Yeah, no. Three, Coach, three days we know. Ago. We know you're kidding. Uh but no, I, th I think that I was, uh, you guys know, I was very skeptical of the hire, not because necessarily Mike Woodson specifically, but because of NBA guys in college. It is not a good track record. And I, you know, had he been a college assistant for seven years and then gone to the NBA and knew his way around, maybe, you, you know, I would have felt differently about it. 
but it just it, it had less to do with Mike Woodson and more to do with what I know about NBA guys in college. And it's a poor track record because it they are different games. It's the difference between men's basketball and women's basketball or baseball and softball. Like it's a different game with different types of players and different rules and all of that stuff. Um, so I was always skeptical, but I gave it a chance. I praised him at times last year for, for the way that he handled that veteran team, uh, having a freshman point guard, all of that stuff. And I praised him for aiming high in recruiting. I did. I mean, I, I did think they should add backup plans, but I praised that strategy. Like, Hey, you're Indiana sit at the big boy table. I get it. Go do it. Um, but I do think I've always thought I, I, I see a guy who was a coach in the mid two thousands and in the early 2010s and runs a system that looks like the NBA in those eras, which the world has moved on from. And that's concerning. It's really concerning. Andy, where are you? Yeah, I I don't know. I struggle with trying to, like, I, I try to keep it more in the reality of, like, what I think will happen, um, which is probably him being back because um, I still feel like that's the more likely scenario out of those. Now, whether he's one who is, you know, going to make some of the changes that we talked about, I just – you know, I feel like that, that gets, that also seems hard to believe, right? Like, you know, we, we yeah. heard about what he wanted to do offensively. I think everybody chalked up the, the offense and the TJD and uh, race. teams yeah. to, to be, Hey, this is what he had. And I think even to a certain extent, people did the same thing this year with like, well, you, you kind of had to take where, if you could get him, he's one of the best guys in the portal. That's proven to be a hundred percent true. Um, in terms of what his, um, you know, what he's ended up being. And so, but at a certain point, like how many years do you get in before it's like, okay, this has to be what you want to do. Like there can't be other excuses. It's like, this is the offense that you want to run. And if it is for the same thing with the Knicks. Yeah. <laughs> and if it is like, that's what I know. Um, I know, you know, Tony, I think somebody had posted that and we sent the, the video around. It was jarring to watch the the video of like some of the stuff yeah. with the, the Knicks and yep. kind of insert things here. And I think that's that ultimately is the biggest challenge for me. And I guess what would make me lean toward, you know, C probably more so than B, because it, it just seems more realistic, I guess, in some ways, because I'm not sure you get him to do something so yeah. different. But, you know, coach and I have talked about this before. I mean, while you don't have to watch games to do bracketology, it certainly helps to have watched some of these teams play and you watch enough teams from different leagues and how they play. And I would say this for a lot of teams in the Big Ten, too. I don't think this is a unique IU thing. I think it speaks to why the Big Ten does how it tends to do in the tournament. Like you can turn on a whole bunch of teams and they don't look anything like what you see from IU and they don't look anything like what you see from some other Big Ten teams. And I think that's the part that's hard is it's it, it then then the math part of me comes in and is like it becomes a math problem that's hard to solve where you feel like you're starting out every game down 15 points because you're not going to get enough from the three point line you're not going to do whatever and and just the burden that that puts on how well you have to be able to play and I, I think the roster stuff for next year is a huge deal like to be able to really pull off both getting the players in the portal and getting those guys to play together. We've heard 
Patino talk about some of that stuff, right? Like they went mm-hmm. hard at the portal and got a bunch of guys. Now he took also a bunch of up transfers and different things like that. Yeah. But a guy who's widely regarded as one of the best college basketball coaches um, that there has been has really struggled to get those guys to put it together. And some of those guys he coached at Iona. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that just becomes hard. I'm not sure that anybody has a great track record of doing that. And and you can look at the top teams this year and they all have transfer guys that are playing a role, but very few of them have even, I mean, there's, there's a handful that have two guys playing somewhat major roles. Um, but you don't have really any that have three or more that are playing, being counted on to play key roles. And how do you stay out of that cycle of that's what you have to do every single year? Um, but it's such a, that's why I asked the expectations question before, because the expectations are going to be so high that you have to do that next year. You have to get that many guys in the portal. You don't get the luxury of saying, Hey, I got a couple guys in the portal and these guys, and I'm building towards something like that building argument is gone. Uh, And I think that's what makes, that's what makes bringing him back. No matter what camp you fall in, that's what makes it really, really difficult. Um, He'll have the hottest seat in the nation next year. Yeah. Given the size of the program and everything. I just feel like that's hard to to come back from in those ways. So I I guess I kind of lean C as what I guess I would think feels has the best chance of success right now. Um, but I also acknowledge that feels I, maybe unfair is the wrong word. Like you said, Jared, it's, it's big time college basketball and whatever, but that's kind of why I tried to, you know, ask that question earlier with like, is that really fair given how bad everything had been for a while to be like, yep, you had one really bad year and it was really bad. Like, is that really fair to do? And that's where the reality portion of it comes in. It's like, how do you do that? And that's why well, it sucks, I'm not getting paid to be the, the athletic that, director. Yeah, um, that's but, what the money know. and the buyouts are for. Matt, Matt Doherty at North Carolina. It's perfect. Had to be yeah. hard to do. And they got. I will two just years, say real right? quick, two years with that, right? Three, I think he got. Three, yeah. I think he got three. And yeah. then yeah, they had a chance to get yeah. Roy, so they went and got him. Yeah. And and Andy, I, I will just say real quick to echo what you said. I thought you described why I'm a C even better than I did, which is I would really like to be a B. And I'm just not sure I can conjure up the combination of words and sounds and images mental that would make me believe it. You know, that's the problem. I just, I think it's, it's just to do that and also build a foundation. Like I just, I think it's a needle that is just too difficult to reasonably expect to be threaded in any way that is going to be comparable to what a new coach at the level I think Indiana could get would be able to do. And that's where it's just an opportunity cost. You know, yeah. and in a job I, like this, after three years, if you can reasonably see a better option, that's the AD's job. He's got to protect the future of the program. Woody wants next year to figure it out next year, and that's great, and I would love to give it to you, but I'm sorry, it's better for the program to do this. And that's why it's hard to not be a C, I think. Yeah, and I, I think that that stuff is is where you get into – that's kind of why I was you know scrolling down the, the list of some of these – top teams this year at least using ken palm or bracket whatever you want to look at right and trying to look and see where that is it, at that point getting all those guys to mesh is not a mike woodson issue and not a commentary on mike woodson as a coach it is a commentary on anybody who has proven to be successful this year to really do that and even some of the teams who have multiple transfers there's some of them who 
have been in the program for a year. So like Alabama is an example, like Mark Sears, he transferred from, I think Ohio, he played a role last year, but it wasn't as much. Now he's a huge part of what they're doing, but he didn't necessarily have to do that coming in year one. And so that's where it's just, it's not even a, could Mike Woodson do this question? It's could any coach do this question? Yeah. Um, that's where it gets difficult. And then you're, you're at that point filtering in your own thoughts on what you've seen from him and whether he could do that or not. It's a tall order for anybody based on when you look at what's on the roster, who's proven what and what you'd have to do. That is a tall order for anyone. Yeah. The best well coaches said. in the country. It was struggle for well said. Uh, one thing I always come back to with Mike Woodson is he showed up on campus having not coached in college in his entire life and not been in college since he was a player. He had Thad Mata, one of the best resources available to him, available to him, made available to him through a really nice salary and a great setup for Thad Mata, and Thad Mata really loved Indiana and all that stuff. And Mike Woodson did not utilize that resource. And Thad Mata, he left to go coach, but he left after one year having not imparted any wisdom. At least that's what we're. I, I've been told repeatedly from different sources that Woody just didn't use him, and that the and the reason why is because he'd been in the NBA, he knew better. The NBA is better than college. I know what I'm doing here, and it's just so disappointing because the things he could have learned from that guy, or the things the rest of the staff could have learned from that guy, or the things the players could have learned from that guy, endless, and. It was wasted. I mean, that was basically just lighting money on fire, quite frankly. And uh, it's it's so disappointing. Just so, so disappointing. It's, it's unfathomable. <laughs> it really is. Uh, All right. All right. Uh, Longest segment two ever. Yeah. Ever. I mean, I don't even know that we need the intro music. For the other. I don't, if we want to hit this bracketology question, I can give some quick let's thoughts a, on let's that. Let's just hit a few then... questions. We'll, yeah. we'll dismiss the formalities right. of well, I, I'll do the bracketology one, and then I'm going to drop it. I'll let you uh, I'll let you take over, Jared, if you want. But uh, So this first one, um, question for a resident bracketologist. Clemson coach Brad Brownell recently claimed the Big 12 is manipulating the net rankings. Many of the teams schedule a lot of sub-300 teams, keep their starters in, win by 30, 40, 50 points, thus creating a very high net efficiency rating. Then they get to conference play and beat each other. They have no bad losses. That legitimate scheduling or gaming the system should it be modified to minimize teams beating down inferior opponents. I thought that, um, and uh, Coach, I'll, I'll let you give your thoughts. I, I thought uh, Jill and Artie had a really good thread about this today on Twitter. Maybe it was yesterday. Uh, at some point in the last two days, um, ha- had one about it. And, it, it, you know, I, I think with any system, you could make tweaks to the net that it would cap some of this or or find ways to uh, to handle it differently than it is than it than it has. Um, I would also say that. Lots of teams schedule games against bad teams and don't beat them the way that they're supposed to beat them. Uh, and it, to some extent, the sign of a good team is that they can beat those teams on a consistent basis, not necessarily every game, but more often than not to, to do that. Um, and I do think in a league where you know that you're going to be able to get enough 
quality win opportunities, you probably can take some of those gambles. And sometimes coaches take those gambles because they 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 know what they're up against from a roster perspective or conference perspective. So I use Cincinnati here locally as an example. Now they've kind of played themselves out of the tournament picture, but they were in it for a while. They scheduled a pretty poor non-conference because they needed to get wins. It's not West Miller's first year, but it's their first year in the Big 12. They knew going into that league they were going to need to stack some wins to be in any position to play in the postseason and then hopefully get some things together, play well in the league and see what they can do. They did that for a while. They had some good wins, um, just not enough. And so they've kind of played their way out. But sometimes that makes sense as a scheduling philosophy. Um, but I would be remiss to say that everything about the net is great, but it's better than the RPI. Uh and the RPI is still telling you some of the things about the Big 12 versus the ACC that that it would be. And, I, I, you know, so I think there's things that you could do about it, but I don't necessarily view it as gaming the system. I, I think there are plenty of ACC teams who also play poor schedules and haven't been able to do it. So Capel today was out, you know, spouting some of this stuff for, for Pitt. Their non-conference strength schedule is terrible as well. So you did the same thing. You didn't do as good a job of it. You can't get pissed at the other guy for doing a good job of it. Um, even if you think that's that's wrong, uh, it's hard to argue that you didn't try to do the same thing. So, Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So I think there's a lot of hypocrisy out there from coaches who want to get mad about that stuff when they would, if given the opportunity, do the same damn thing. People did the R, you know, people game the, the RPI conferences game, the RPI, um, you know, coaches say a lot of stuff to take the focus off a mediocre record. Let's if there's, yeah. That. I mean, if there's, if there's something out there in a way that somebody's going to try to work around something, they're going to do it. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I, I just think that, um, I think it's probably a little bit overblown, uh, in terms of that. I think you can watch some of these teams play and, and the whole, Oh, the ACC had this record against the Big 12. I think if you look at some of those games, I'm not sure you can draw quite the same conclusion as that just record in and of itself uh, would tell you. And I think if you peel that back and look at those leagues' record against other power conference teams and different things like that, I think it doesn't quite tell you the same story. But it's like anything. You can find a, a stat or a number to prove your point if you want and kind of move on from there. But I, I think it's a little bit overblown, but would like to see some – changes to that and just generally some more transparency into the, how the net is calculated so that you could really understand if what you think is happening is actually happening. Um, I think in this case, it's somewhat fair because it correlates the net tends to correlate better to the predictive metrics, which like that kind of stuff and allow for that kind of stuff uh, as you go through and do it. But you are having to exceed what those models say you're going to do in order to really move the needle in that way. So um I don't know. That was a long-winded answer, but coach, I'm not sure if you have other thoughts on that or uh, it's, it's um, it's just the the word of the day or the or the grievance of the day is the net from these coaches, right? Um, 
So I put this out on our Delphi Bracketology Twitter today. I said, is the Big 12 gaming the system? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, which metric is better uh, to predict who should be ranked? Ken Palm or the net? Ken Palm, Ken Palm. And, and uh, okay, do you realize that Ken Palm has the Big 12 ranked higher than the net does? So there's no reasonable statistic that says the net is that unfair. Ken Palm was just talked about going in the Hall of Fame. He's so well-respected for his stuff, and we love it. it. It's good. These things are good, and they're used. They're not scoreboard. That's the one thing that everyone just – it's not if you're 32nd, you're better than the 33rd. The NCAA committee takes all of this stuff into account. And I also then say go compare to the RPI where Yale is 7th or something right now in the RPI nitty-gritty. Is that um, is that not correct, Coach? I'm not paying attention to Bracketos. Yale, not the seventh best team in the country. Is that no? It? And so the <laughs> net, the net, the net, the net is really imperfect. Really breaking intellectual ground here to you know the 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 net is not perfect, right? And there could be some adjustments. And and yeah, let's let's maybe try to figure that out. But it is a heck of a lot better measurement than than what we had before, and it actually combines. What Kempom is just efficiency only. The net is a little bit of efficiency and a little bit of the strength of record RPI stuff. Uh, I I don't see what the whole um, big issue is. So, Coach, I believe you were saying that Utah State is seventh in the RPI. Oh, oh, was it Utah State? Well, wasn't Yale up there? Yeah. Yale, uh, Princeton is twentieth. Yale is twenty fifth. RPI loves the uh, loves the Ivy League apparently. So yeah, Utah State. Duly duly noted. Duly noted. It was some small school out there. Yale's twenty yeah, fifth. That's where Yale okay. is twenty yeah. fifth as a second team in the Ivy League in the RPI. Don't 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 there be mad go. at the net. It's and and we're getting that to be clear. Net. Yale is not Yale is not the twenty fifth best team in the country. Is that, that that also is correct? Okay, or thank you. I just again not eighth. a bracketologist. Just you know. For the laymen out there. This is going to be a recurring segment, Ryan, trying to figure out where to place <laughs> Yale in the hierarchy of college basketball. Ivy League race, though, coming right down to the wire, three-way tie heading into the you know the weekend. So just, And they are you know, not playing their conference mm-hmm. tournament in Indianapolis area. So unlike the NIT or the Horizon, they're playing it out east. Just public service yeah. announcement number two. Absolutely. All right. Uh, all right. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop. I'll let you guys finish what See, you want to what thanks you want for, to finish i have things some tonight bracketology thing yeah this was thanks for dropping me in with this one this was like uh <laughs> man i didn't yeah. want to it's hey. just yeah i got okay. here as quick as i I'll could just be on a little bit late if you could just try to control ryan through talking about <laughs> no. the state of the program that'd be great and <laughs> andy no no i just have a one sentence rebuttal go take a 15 minute nap while i give this one sentence rebuttal it's <laughs> a long sentence guys andy i tell you what a lot of no, semicolons no. yeah no offense, Some Andy, to the other people on uh, your fielding the sixty-eight, but but you just elevate that show when, when you're on. I'm obviously biased, but the other day I kind of got lost with whoever was on that on Monday. So I, you and Lucas are the are the are the two that um, we do appreciate. Uh, well, I work. believe I believe he and I are the two that are on tomorrow. I know I am on tomorrow. I cannot speak to everyone, but I I believe he is also on with me tomorrow. So good stuff. <laughs> Look at that. Our buddy Quinn, again, Hello, Quinn. with a super chat. <laughs> Quinn, you're the man. He said, you came up my recommendation, or it came up that you all were live, so I figured I'd pop in. War Eagle. Quinn, again, we talked about this on the last postgame show, if you didn't hear. Quinn is an Auburn fan that 
you know, me too. I interacted. I interacted with in the Trilly Discord, the Trilly Donovan Discord. Whole. Uh, we're gonna have to have a whole episode to explain what that sentence means, and maybe we'll do that at some point. But Quinn's a great guy, and he's now been here for two straight post game shows. So we're with Quinn is quite the relationship here with these Auburn Quinn is fans. Definitely is Bruce Pearl, right? Like that's we've established <laughs> that he's just coming to hang His out. His agent. Yeah. <laughs> he's just. He's just hanging out here. Okay, they say Test. these fans are kind of crazy. I mean, I know, I know he doesn't spell his first name the same, but a little bit. I mean, should we be concerned that his name, his first name, oh, well, maybe, and last maybe, name someone, are, are tied to two, two, uh, two high-level IU, <laughs> IU point guards? I'm just saying. Uh, I mean, Quinn, know, all you got to do is text Coach Tonsoni. He'll he'll tell you everything that's coming. Yeah. He's, you know, absolutely. he's a hero. All right. I'll see you guys later. And, uh, all right, we'll, Andy. We will talk soon. Have a good one, man. Um, let's see. We got a few more questions. You guys want to answer one or two more? One or yeah. two more is great. One or two more. Okay, we'll go quickly. We're now on forty five minutes. So, so. <laughs> so let's do this one. Oh, we'll plug again X's and Joes. Make sure that you subscribe to that podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, check out our friends at Doing the Work. Also, check out our friends at Crimson Cast. If you haven't subscribed to their Substack yet, I saw Galen dropped uh, a video that is normally just for VIPs, but he made it for everybody. So subscribe to their email list because you get all that stuff. But Mark's question was, listen to X's and Joe's. And Coach Sam, Sam Story, who was here in the chat, suggested that McKenzie and Baco needs to play a lot more games to improve and suggested he would get uh, more from the G League or overseas. Any thoughts on that? When he came here, he said he wanted to be a one and done and lots of conversation on, um, oh, uh, co- oh, then he's talking about not being out to recruit. Um, okay, we'll, we'll, we already talked about that. So McKinsey and Baco, I that I uh, had to stop listening. So I actually haven't gotten to that part where they talked about McKinsey and Baco. So I didn't hear exactly what was said, although he summarized it there. Um, Ryan, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Because McKenzie is definitely one of the biggest wild cards. Yeah, like he has not played like a guy that would be a one and done, and he's not on mock drafts. But it it still is obviously very possible that he either you know would transfer or, or go somewhere. Although you know we'd love to have him back. I think it's but, and and I think his his improvement over the past two months has been pretty significant. And whether it's not he's consistently scoring or whatever, he's he's moving better on defense. It's still not elite. He's been you know driving more and asserting himself more, where he's more st- doing jump shots early in the year. Um, he's running out on the break more as well and looking for. Opportunities he's a legit there. Big Ten player now, and he yep. wasn't playable early exactly. in the season. That's <clears throat> exactly and. Scouts are going to see that on film. Maybe they're not into him right now, but they'll see that on film. Uh, I think there are two possibilities for him. One, he comes back, plays a sophomore year at Indiana. Depends what his relationship is to the coaching staff at this point. I think that's one. Um, And also what he thinks the team is going to be like next year. He doesn't want to play on a team that's not winning games and is that is not competitive because it's going to make him look worse. I mean, a perfect example is Thomas Bryant, his sophomore year. He, He would have been a top 15 pick if he went out the year before. He stuck around for another year. He thought he wasn't old enough, thought he needed to mature. The team was terrible, and he dropped to the second round. It wasn't because Thomas Bryant got worse. It was because looking at that situation, people downgraded him. That is possible. He looked so sad at the end of that season. It was so different from the joyful Thomas from the season And we loved Thomas, too. Um, (laughs) I love Thomas Bryant. But I'll say this. I think that there there are three possibilities. One, he comes back. Two, he goes to the NBA and just tries to work out for teams and show them what he's got. Reminds them he's a five. He was a five-star product product who looked like a, a, a top 25 pick before he came to Indiana. And three, that he gets in the portal and looks to play for a higher level team. 
He was recruited by Kansas. He was recruited by a bunch of other team, uh, high level teams before he picked Duke. And, and then his second recruitment came down to IU and Kansas. There are other teams who will watch his development this year and be interested in him. And so I think that, and there'll be NIL and all of that stuff involved. So I think those three things are all possibilities with him. And we have no indication of which way he'll go, uh, which we shouldn't at this point. I think he'll put his name in the draft and do the workouts. Why wouldn't he do that? Um, there's no downside to doing that. So I, again, just, I agree that his best path to development is probably in the G league playing every day with professionals and to have a full-time development schedule that you are hamstrung in college, how much you can work out, how much you can practice all of those things. The NBA, once you get out and you're a professional, you can work out whenever you want. You can do whatever you want. You can work with coaches. You can work with outside guys. Now, you can with the team you're limited but you're you can hire guys to work you out all the time and you don't have to worry about school and all those other things so i think that is probably if you want to talk about what would rocket his development yes it would be something like that and being a professional uh, especially with the things he needs to work on um, and he's already got the frame and the body for it yes that would prevent some guys from doing it yes but he's got that part that's why he was such a highly regarded recruit and he can yeah. shoot coach any thoughts on that no mckenzie um, all right, let me scroll through these. We can't get to. Um, all right, so we, we got some questions about the NIT. Let's hold those until the NIT actually becomes realistic. Uh, we got to win one or two more games, and then we'll talk about the NIT questions and whether Indiana would go, all of that stuff. Um, last question from Bill Coach um, Why is the defense worse this year than last season? Um, <laughs> you know, and, and look, th there's a lot of reasons, right? Like, I think. You know, when you sub in McKenzie and Baco for Miller Cop, that's a huge downgrade. Miller Cop was a very good team defender, yep. right? When when you don't have Xavier Johnson healthy and at his best and not, you know, the same athletically as he was his first year with Mike Woodson, you're not putting the same pressure on the ball. Uh, Khalil Ware is a good rim protector. Trace Jackson Davis last year was an elite rim protector. You know, Race Thompson at the four, a much more consistent, reliable defender than Malik Renew is at the and four. And rebounder. Yeah. So, I mean, like just, you know, player for player, you just kind of look at it. And it's like, man, just the individual guys just aren't as good. And then kind of the overarching thing above that then coach is they haven't played the defense with the same energy and conviction that you need. That's why it was so stark against Wisconsin. It's like, wow, these guys are flying around. It's like, okay, that's how you help make this work, you know, and we haven't seen that. So the personnel hasn't been as good and the commitment to the defense hasn't been as good you know, that explains which what has been a quite precipitous drop in defense. Yeah, I think and maybe there's more on. nuance that you can add to it. No, I think that's spot on. I, I do think it it, uh, it comes down to ball pressure. I think Cups does a good job of that. But you had Cups and then you, you had X and then you can bring in Cups. You don't have that when you when, you know, that's a big piece of that that's because um, Woody's first year he had Rob Finnessy to come in off yeah, the bench and keep and the ball pressure high you had I mean, between he and X all game yeah. yeah so depth I would say depth uh defensive yeah. depth is not there uh but but your part about every position is a step down or maybe two steps down from who they replaced as as you know he wasn't the quickest person um but he, yeah I, I just say it's a step down um, from ever. Miller cop wasn't quick, but he was in position. He fought like crazy. He was really good on the drives. Uh, he talked. The, the, yeah. He and, and 
this is where this is where the you combine the roster construction stuff. Those guys had played a lot of basketball. Some at Northwestern, some at other places. They had played a lot of basketball. They had a defensive mindset. Race Thompson was just a, a tough, tough guy. I don't think we recruited tough guys. I like him, and again, it's so hard for me to be overly critical of of young guys yeah. who wear to Indiana University. But Malik Renew's not tough. He he's talented and skilled, but he doesn't guard well. He doesn't close out well. He doesn't pursue rebounds. He doesn't block out at the level that you would need to be a dominant four or a dominant five. Um, Ware is pretty good defensively and rebounding because of his size. Cups fights like heck. So does Trey. But um, I, I don't think McKenzie uh, enjoys playing defense. I don't think Renew enjoys playing defense. And, and so that's why the defense has fallen. Now, I, I also think, you know, you got to go to scheme as well that, you know, you've seen Woodson play a little more zone. There, there's some other ways. Again, one of the criticisms is so you have that. How do you still play effective defense to win games? And, and a lot of coaches say, we're going to play our system, we're going to play our system, we're going to play our system, and it's up to the guys to get better. Some people like to win and say, you know what, I got some slow defenders or I got some not in, in tune defenders, so we got to put them in this position because maybe I can get a little bit more out of them. Yeah. Uh, it's just uh, all around been, been a struggle. The guys off the bench have not been very good. C.J. Gunn in spurts has been good. His length should have been good. You thought Caleb Banks uh, w- would add to that. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think just depth of defensive positioning and knowledge. They tried to switch a lot this year, and the communication and the understanding of what to do. Uh, either it's been difficult for the players to get, and it's on the players, or it's not been a, a well coached scheme or or produced scheme. But you put all that together, we're a hundred and something defensively, which is just unbelievably uh, a drop off from forty eight that it was last year, and. and that that's what I attribute it to. Uh, so many different pieces that have made it a struggle. Yep. All right. Well, that's probably a good appropriate note to end on uh, for this show. <laughs> Jeez. Let's go get a win Sunday. I, I say all of that, and as soon as Sunday comes, Oops. I'm gonna be. Oh, oh, you're gonna do you're gonna do songs? Okay. I I didn't know. <laughs> I you said it was an appropriate way to end. I hit the no, ending music. No, no, let's do it. Let's do it. Here we, we go. Can do it now. That works. All right, that's going to do it for us on this edition of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. We always thank Bob Thompson for producing our music. We always thank John Ringer of rigdesign.com for designing our logos. And we always thank you for being here. We'll be back Sunday after the IU Maryland game with the post game show. Until then. Take it from me, Yogi Farrell. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Coach Tonsoni is always right about basketball. <laughs> oh, Fair. man. All right. Well, there we go. That was fun. There we go. Yeah. <sighs> that was fun. <laughs> So, did you guys talk about Caitlin Clark? I talked about Darren Ravel. <laughs> oh gosh, why? So is, in a way, dude, what an idiot! Gosh, but man, Caitlin no Clark, Ron, what is Grace Berger thinking right now? She's going to be on team with Caitlin Clark and Aaliyah Boston. 
she's thinking i'm not gonna score a whole lot of points (laughs) yeah but anytime but anytime she wants to go get her shot she'll be able to get it yep i mean think about her operating in the Mm mid-range like she does i mean my goodness they're gonna be good and fun man exciting exciting times for indianapolis basketball between the fever and the pacers so that's nice that's nice i like basketball well played basketball i do all right Ryan, you have any stories for us for AC After Dark, or is it? Time nah, we have to plan that out. It's also it's also been two hours. I think I think they've gotten enough show tonight. I'm just gonna. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I think. I think. I, there are people on the podcast I just think looking. They've at the gotten the, enough. Let them eat the, cake. No, there are people. There are people show. literally looking at their i their phone right now. Is this? Is wow. there? When does it right. end? I'm, I'm pulling. I'm pulling that. That from now on is how we're going to end every show. I think they've, they've gotten, gotten enough, enough show. show. Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Jeez. I'm sorry if you're listening. You guys have had enough tonight. You. You know what? I mean, there's there's going to be a night where we. 250 yeah, still gonna, here. There's going to be a night where we have like 45 minutes worth of content. We'll save AC After Dark for that, okay? <laughs> we have off-season shows. Wow. Uh, yeah. So. All right. Well, you heard him, folks. You've gotten enough shows. You've had so enough. That's... You guys have had enough. You're, you're full. You've had dinner and dessert. You don't need another dessert. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. Uh, All right. Well, that's yeah. fun. That was all right. I'm ending the recording. Do it. End it. (laughs) Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. Mm. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. All state vehicle and property insurance company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.